Welcome to episode two of the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show. Me, Simon Clancy and Matthew Sherry. Only hours away now from pretty much everybody getting underway. Four teams have already played. One big standout, the 17-point underdog Hawaii beating Colorado State on the road. Matt, two big things from that game. First of all, Cole McDonald, the sophomore, had a pretty much phenomenal day. 26-37 passing, 418 yards, three touchdowns. Another 96 yards rushing, two more scores. Big win for Hawaii, held off a late comeback. Great performance by them on the road. Incredible. The quarterback looked outstanding. I mean, there was there was a little bit of everything in there, wasn't there? There was one ridiculous touchdown run from, I think, maybe 20, 15 yards out where he beat a couple of guys. And a really nice throw into the corner of the end zone for, for one of the um, touchdowns as well. And I think that was his first ever game as well. Yeah. So a, a really exciting time for Hawaii fans to have a, a guy like that come in and, and have basically his dream of debut as you could ever imagine. And kind of following in that long lineage of great Hawaii sort of system quarterbacks, do you think of Timmy Chang and Colt Brennan and guys like that? McDonald looks to be a a, a really good a really good prospect. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and and is there a better way to start a, a career than a than a big upset in in a game like that? I mean, it's a it's a really bad loss for Colorado State, but yeah, truly incredible for for the young quarterback. Yeah, where did Colorado State go from here? Because the, the you know they've obviously obviously been castigated by the fans, by the media. The Denver Post said that they'd had their fannies kicked in inverted commas. Um, not a good start to the season for them. It's a disaster, isn't it? And the problem is, I mean, it, it, we've kind of got into this a little bit in the first couple of episodes, but it's just so make or break, isn't it? College football, and I mean, Colorado State fans that have looked at their schedule and thought, well. We get to start a week early. We can we can almost certainly get the win against Hawaii, and then you're going into the kind of the, the rivalry game against Colorado this week, expecting that you'll be confident and, and everything will be good. In reality, it's now the absolute opposite of that. And I mean, when you when you're in a division division with a with a Boise State team who I think uh, have a chance to be really good as as kind of one of those non-power five schools this year, it's really difficult to see Colorado State making any any noise nationally I mean it's hard enough at this level beneath the power five anyway but that's just a, a killer loss in week one I mean Mike Bobo must be pulling his hair out the head coach because down by 30 late in the late in the third quarter they rallied to within six I mean in a way kudos them to them for the rally but you know where were you for the first three and a bit quarters but the fact that KJ Carter Samuels passed for 530 some odd yards as a school record they still gave up 617 yards defensively, 120 more yards on 12 penalties. That is not a good combination. And, and Bobo already has got to be sort of, you know, because it's not just the effort, it's the discipline as well. Bobo's got to be feeling the heat now, hasn't he? He has as well. And I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure the, the guy was in hospital before the game. Before the game he on was, Saturday. he was. So we, had numbness in his feet and his hands. and Yeah, so we don't know how much that's played an impact and how much he was able to work with the guys during the week. But he was back on the sidelines on for the game on the Saturday but yeah I mean it's just you fail for him with that obviously but I guess even if you you have been hospitalised on game week you've, you've had essentially the whole off season to prepare for that game and it's just it's just not a good look for him is it? I mean seven and six the last three years five, consecu- five consecutive bowl games all plays obviously in Bobo's favour but you lose this one Colorado next then Arkansas then Florida I mean all of a sudden you're in an own 4 hole and there's there's no way out of that yeah, and, and it's funny how how you see it now as a known four-hole as well. If they win this game, you look at the game against Colorado and think, well, maybe they can get something. As you say, they've had a good a good couple of years leading into this one, so the confidence builds. But now it's the opposite of that. I mean, this this game this week against Colorado is essentially make or break because you wouldn't be expecting them to to come out of a, a, a back-to-back Arkansas-Florida slate with much. I mean, maybe Arkansas, but you would think... On the road of Florida is almost certainly one that you can chalk down as a loss, and then you get into kind of conference play, and it eases up. But you don't want to be entering that conference slate on four, which I would think is more likely than not now. Absolutely. The other big thing to come out of that game, not football related, essentially, but did you see the Hawaii helmet? <laughs> Incredible. Absolutely. If you if you didn't see it, usually the, the Hawaii have the kind of big H on the uh, green H on the on their helmet. This time it it's essentially the Hawaiian Islands, but across the sort of look just look so black helmet with kind of the, the green islands all across the, the side of each side of the helmet. Absolutely sensational. I mean, if there's a better helmet in college football, I haven't seen it. 
I think this is the the stage of the show where we need to get Ollie Hunder, the 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 kit watch lover of, of the gridiron, Sean, because he would love it. In fact, I'm going to message Ollie immediately after this and make sure he's seen it because he's going to absolutely love that, as we all do. You are listening to the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show, Episode Two. I'm Simon Clancy, Matthew Sherry, the editor of Gridiron Magazine, is with with me as always. In a minute, we're going to look ahead to the big games this weekend. There's a game starting tonight, actually, a number of games tonight. Jimbo Fisher kicks off his uh, his uh, tenure at uh, Texas A&M. UCF start against uh, uh, against UConn this evening, but um, big games obviously over the weekend. Before we get to that point, though, a number of interesting uh, decisions have been made around the college football landscape in terms of starting quarterbacks. Let's start small or smallish and build up. Number nineteen ranked Florida State. In a three-way battle, ended up naming DeAndre Francois last season's uh, last season's uh, starting quarterback. Who kicked off the season against Alabama, tore his ACL. A surprise, Matt. I mean, Francois is a good quarterback, and if you'd have put these three guys in front of me at the start of spring, I would have picked DeAndre Francois ahead of ahead of the other two guys. But there was rumours that Francois had fallen behind. So, are you surprised by the fact that Willie Taggart's gone with him? I'm surprised only because of our conversation in the last episode. I mean, I. I always think of Francois as the most talented of the guys, but obviously you keep a closer eye on things in Tallahassee than me. I know you were, were expecting Blackman to get the nod. Mm. So from from that perspective, I am surprised, but it's it's Willie Taggart's first game. I do think Francois is the most talented guy. I mean, I, I get that maybe it hasn't looked as good in the spring as, as you'd hope, and, and coming off a, an injury like that, it often doesn't, but... They need to hit the ground running, don't they? I mean, mm. they've got a really big open and weak game. And, and, and you feel like it's it's a big game, but it's also a game that the fan base will expect to win. And I always think that's a really tough spot. I mean, you'd almost rather play a Clemson in week one where, as Willie Taggart in in in, a, in his first game, can, can almost absorb the loss there and explain yeah. it away. That's a tough game that you essentially need to win because of the expectation. So... I'm surprised I haven't spoken to you, but I do think he's the most talented guy. And, and I think it's a good sign for Florida State fans that that the coaching staff clearly believe he's ready to, to step back in. Yeah, I mean, going back to Francois himself, 6'1", 215, local kid from Orlando. Um, Florida State fans will remember his kind of huge comeback win over Old Miss in his uh, in his hometown to to start the 2016 campaign. They won the uh, they won the the Orange Bowl against Michigan in in the Miami Dolphins Stadium 32 30, 33 32, um, which he led and uh, led to a bit of Heisman talk at the start of last year and played really well. Hung with you know, as Florida State hung with Alabama, who went on to win the national championship early in that game uh, last season. But James Blackman, like you say, and Bailey Hockman, the redshirt freshman from Georgia, look to have been sort of moving ahead of him. In terms of, do you think this is a, 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 and it's easy to say, you know, is this a full-time decision? Because you don't want to, you don't want to feel like Francois is kind of on the hook, potentially, you know, one interception and let's, do you think that this is a committed decision now from Taggart and he will stick with Francois come what may? I mean, you know, beyond the, you know, three or four games of throwing five interceptions each game, but he will accept mistakes and not hook him immediately. Do you see what I mean? That Francois has yeah. got the confidence to be able to think that this job is mine and if I make a mistake or I throw a pick, I'm not going to be benched straight away. I'm going to be able to recover and build and move forwards. I would hope so. I mean, I think if they'd have played Blackman, I would say the opposite. I would yeah, think, I think that, so too. you know, it's a short leash and, and certainly some of the memories of some of Blackman's poorer performances last year, I mean... I don't think you're losing 35-3 to Boston College with Francois a quarterback in the way that they did last year. And I'm I'm, I'm aware that's obviously not all James Blackman's fault by any means. But I, I think if it, if he was given the job, I think it would almost be, well, you've given him the job because you don't quite think Francois is ready. Because I think that surely they know that Francois is the more talented guy. So I would assume that this is a long leash for Francois and that they think he's readier than, than maybe you thought last week and, and maybe the noises coming out of the programme have suggested. What about Clemson then? Do you think the same is true? Kelly Bryant has been named the starter over Trevor Lawrence, which kind of kiboshes a Heisman Trophy uh, standings, but we'll get to that at a later date. Kelly, obviously one of the best quarterbacks, I think, in college football. He's not going to be an NFL quarterback. For those of you that sort of are wondering how it works, he's a, he, he runs a Dabo Sweeney system very, very effectively. Uh, he's not uh, Deshaun Watson, the, the previous incumbent, but he is a very good mobile uh, college system quarterback. Held off Trevor Lawrence, the, the the freshman phenomenon from Cartersville, Georgia, who we know very well. 
And Swinney had sort of hinted throughout the preseason practices late on that Bryant was perhaps just nudging ahead a little bit in the race. He then was the first quarterback to go through drills during the media practice last week, which kind of hinted again that that would be the case. Um, and then Dabo Swinney came out and announced that he would start um, when the first depth chart came out on Monday morning against Furman. Do you think he has the the longevity of the season to be able to bet in, or do you think the the weight of Lawrence's talent will overcome everything? Or do you think that Clemson are just too good that Kelly will be able to run the system, win games, and it won't matter who's essentially a quarterback because that team is so good? I mean, they're, uh, in great, they're in a great position either way, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I think it ultimately it was the sensible decision only because had he named Lawrence starter immediately, then Kelly Bryant would transfer. And I mean, I think he would transfer almost immediately. Bryant himself admitted that he contemplated transferring when Lawrence came in earlier mm. this year because he can kind of see the writing on the wall. So... I think they've I think they've made the sensible decision, but it won't last. I mean, the problem Clemson encountered in the college football playoff last year was essentially the problem that Alabama encountered in the national championship game in that they just couldn't move the ball passing it through the air and Clemson didn't have anybody to turn to again in that game against Alabama. Now they do, and there will come a point this season where they're just not able to move the ball effectively on the ground and Kelly Bryant can't make the big throw that you need. Yeah. I think by that point, Trevor Lawrence will already have played a lot of snaps. I think he'll play a fair bit on Saturday once they've, once they've got well ahead. And there'll be a point where the starting quarterback reigns get handed over. I'm certain of that. But they, they've changed the transfer rules this year. So I think it's easier for kids to transfer. Yeah, They won't obviously play this season, but they can get into their new system this year. And, and it's the same issue that Alabama have with Jalen Hurts. So I think Dabo essentially is protecting... His roster, because what they can't afford is to hand the job to to Trevor Lawrence, have Kelly Bryant transfer, and then Lawrence gets injured, they're mm. screwed. So they need to have both guys this season, and I think that's the way to. This is the way to do it. But there's going to come a point where Clemson need to move the ball, and it's not working with the run game. And at that point, I think Trevor Lawrence comes in. Everything we know about him suggests he comes in and does well. And as soon as he does that, then he's the starter. Two points there, I suppose. Chase Bryce, they're very high on as well, the redshirt freshman quarterback, yeah. who's probably be the third string guy. So perhaps, you know, if Kelly did transfer out, they, they might not be in quite... I, I, just, I just think they'd want the experience of no, Brian in the, in the locker 100%. room all year as well. And the, the thing is, look, we could be sitting here in four months' time and be saying, you know, Clemson win the national championship, Kelly Bryant wins the Heisman, and he's had a phenomenal season because he's that he is that kind of player. He's a very exciting, you know quarterback he he played very well last season almost 700 yards rushing he, he, he had a almost 70 percent completion rate so you know this is no mug we're talking about we, we're not trying to do down a really really good college quarterback who i know that we both like just because you know we're, we're only doing so because we know the talent of the the kid in behind but interestingly Dabo has said you know that the one and this is a direct quote the one thing i can probably definitely say is probably definitely probably definitely say is regardless of how it plays out, I don't see a situation early where we play just one guy. We've got some guys that are going to deserve to play. This is a situation that if somebody separates, it's probably going to take place in the games because you're talking about incredible competitors that are up to the task. He then mentioned the fact that, look, we're going to keep evaluating every single rep, every single day in practice and in the games. Um, And he then also said that actually... He was asked if all three, so um, Lawrence, Bryant, and Chase Bryce, could could see playing time. To which Swinney then joked that Hunter Renfro, who's the fourth string quarterback, could also line up under centre at times with some kind of trick play. So I, I certainly think that keeping defences and defensive coordinators on their toes, because you know Bryant will get most of the snaps. But look, oh, here comes Trevor Lawrence for a series, and given the receivers that they've got, the, the deep threat guys in T Higgins and Justin Ross and Amari Rogers and obviously Renfro, you're going to need, there will be a time where you're going to need to put the ball up in a sort of pro style way, making best use of those deep threat receivers or receivers that can get open 20, 25 yards down the field with a quarterback that can make those kind of throws, which is not necessarily Kelly Bryant's consistent game. So it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I always think with a situation like this, the main key is how much cash does your head coach have in the locker room. It's a very difficult thing to balance. But if you've got a guy who, you know, is on the hot seat, I think it becomes 10 times more difficult to balance. Dabo Sweeney is now one of, established as one of the best two, three, four coaches in college football. He's won a national championship. They've been at the playoff the last three years, two national championship appearances in the last three years. So I think he is a coach that can handle the situation as well. And 
I mean, this isn't going to unravel Clemson. If anything, it probably strengthens them for the reasons that you've mentioned. Talking of uh, head coaches having cachet in the locker room, Nick Saban has about as much cachet as you could you could possibly want for a, for a, a college football head coach or indeed any uh, level of uh, of football. What do you think about the decision to name co-starters uh, rather than pick one guy between Jalen Hurts and, and Tua Tungavailoa? Is he fudging it? Is he? Is it a kind of another Saban masterstroke in that he's keeping defensive guys, defensive coordinators, much like we just talked about with Bryant and Lawrence, on their toes, not knowing who's going to come in next? Or, or does that unsettle? You know, because they're two very different styles of quarterback. Both have obviously very mobile, but, but Tungavailoa is much more of a pro-style quarterback. Jalen Hurts, I think, would have to play a different position if he was going to the NFL. He's much more mobile and can extend plays with his feet better than Tunga Vailoa. How do we think that's going to play out? Because essentially what you're asking the offense to do and the offensive linemen, and I've, you know, I've spoken to Jonah Williams, the, the All-American left tackle, they are, that's a situation where you're, you're asking your linemen to play two very different styles of, uh, of play, knowing that one quarterback is exceptionally mobile and can get outside the pocket. As Jonah said to me, you know, one minute Jalen is in the pocket and I'm blocking a certain way. Next minute he's outside the pocket and I don't, you know, I'm all of a sudden having to react to that. Whereas Tua is very much more, you know, he manipulates the pocket, but he's very much more a pure pocket passer. Has he fudged yeah. it? Is this a masterstroke? What, what do we think? I think I think that the reasons for it are very similar to what we've just talked about with Clemson, in that I think they want to keep Jalen Hurts around all year. And I'm, I'm fairly certain this transfer rule now is that after you've played, is it four games or appeared in four games, you can't transfer this year? Yeah. yeah. So essentially, they need Jalen Hurts to be involved for the first four games and then they lock him in for the whole season. I mean, there are complications with that because he could then refuse to play if he knows he's going to transfer next year. But everything we know about Jalen Hurts tells us that almost certainly isn't going to happen. I do disagree with this one slightly more than Clemson and far be it from me to to question the, the merits of, of a Nick Saban decision. But I, I just think like the difference with Lawrence and Tuanga Vailor is... We've literally seen Tua come into the national championship game and win it basically single-handedly in the second half. And I mean, it's just a different scenario. When we've seen that, you feel like the reins just have to be handed over. You can, I can look at Alabama's offense now and I think there's a huge ceiling with Jalen Hurts back there. There is no ceiling whatsoever with Tua under center. And I mean, I don't think anybody believes for one minute that come the business end of the season, Tua won't be essentially taking all the snaps. But... I just, I just wonder whether it's, whether it's really worthwhile, and, and I feel a little bit for Jalen Hurts, who has stayed in there and, and kind of the competitor in him, competitor in him has, has kind of made him stay at Alabama. He should have transferred before this, before this season started. Because I mean, do you believe for one minute that Jalen Hurts, barring an injury to Tua, has any chance of playing significant snaps at the end of this season? It, well, I do, and two things. One is that you talk about the national championship game and I'm playing devil's advocate here, but what did Tunga Vailoa have to lose in that game? Absolutely nothing. You're so right so essentially, you know, you could flip it and say, look, he was coming into a pretty drastic situation against a team that generally had been better than Alabama throughout the season. They were down and kind of on the ropes. Well, you know, if you were Nick Saban, what, the last thing, or, you know, if you were some sort of human, you, what, would you, what were the last things you would have said to Tour is, you know, go out and enjoy yourself, kid, you know. If you can get us back into this game, great, but, you know, go and enjoy it. I don't think many people were expecting Tungavailoa to bring uh, Alabama back from where they came back from. Do you know what I mean? I don't think he had a lot to lose last in that game. Whereas, you know, and we both think that he's a great quarterback, but also, look, Jalen Hurts has been to two national championship games. You know, he's the, he, and that Alabama defense is not the only reason why why Alabama got to those two games. Do you know what I mean? He, uh, and you go back to that, you go back to the, the loss against Clemson in Tampa, um, where when Deshaun Watson hit Renfro for the for the last second touchdown. You know, Hurts was keeping them in that game, but both with passes and by using his feet. I mean, he he had that long touchdown run on the penultimate drive that looked like it had won the game. So essentially, you could be talking about a guy that's won. You know, back-to-back national championships that all of a sudden we're writing off and saying you should be transferring or you should be moving to a different position. It's a very, it's just a very nuanced discussion, isn't it? It's a very nuanced debate. And much like Kelly Bryant, we could also be sitting here saying Jalen Hurts started, he played so well, 
Bama won out, won the national championship, and Jalen won the Heisman, and that would not be beyond the realms of possibility either. I, I think it's just such a nuanced discussion. My, my only, my only worry would be, I just, I just think it's getting, it's getting a little bit harder now for Alabama in terms of the competition is, is, is better. I mean, I think back to the year that they beat Notre Dame in the championship game. I mean, they were so clear, were clear ahead of the, the next best team at that point. It was insane. I'm not sure it's like that now. I think that. There are two, three, four teams who legitimately can match up against them on the other side of the field. And I just think we saw in that Georgia game as great a career as he's had, Jalen Hurts. And to be honest, I mean, me and you had long discussions about him after he, he essentially turned that game around against Mississippi State that we were at and won them it. And we were saying he's going to be an interesting draft prospect well, in we a talk, yeah, years we talked because about he's it, probably exactly. a four-year starter at that point who you think is improving as a passer. But then... You did see the limitations a little bit in that national championship game. I mean, they couldn't move the ball at all in the first half. And, and I mean, Tua didn't have a lot to lose. But the flip side of that is that this is a guy who'd come in as a hot five-star recruit. By all accounts, sounded like he was getting frustrated not playing. That's certainly the rumblings that we've, we've heard. And he had to come in and, and he was essentially maybe playing for his Alabama future. Now, his future without being at Alabama was still very bright because he'd have gone on the transfer market and had uh, and had about twenty teams lining up to sign him, but he went to Alabama with the with the intention of being the starter and being a star and being an NFL player. So I think that the worst the stakes were high. I think he's unbelievably talented, and I and I think there are limitations with Jalen Hurts, but Jalen Hurts is probably still one of the ten best college quarterbacks in 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 the game. So it's it's a good problem to have overall. Let's just rattle through some very quickly some other sort of quarterback issues that have been sort of finalised this week. Sam Ellinger, the, the sophomore quarterback who seems to fit Tom Herman's system at Texas very well, will start beat, up, beat out Shane Bacaley. Not a surprise there. No, not at all. I mean, Michelle was looked really good in his, I remember his debut against Notre Dame. We actually did a piece on him in, um, in Dredeyen and we mm. thought he was going to be one at maybe the next big thing. That's never really happened. He's got a lovely deep ball, but not a lot else. And, um, and Ellinger was was kind of always going to win that job as, as a good fit for the system as well. JT Daniels, true freshman starting at USC and a quite a surprising sort of development. The only, only the second freshman to ever start at USC, the other being. Oh, How recent was it? Matt Barkley. Oh yeah. In fact, they went to the same high school together. I nearly said Matt Leinart. Oh, there you go. There you go. Didn't he go to the same, didn't Leinart go to the same high school as well? Potentially, potentially. Again, I mean, he always looked the best option through spring for, for Clay Helton's team. Um, Can I just say one thing about this kid for the listeners who probably don't know this? Not only is he a true freshman, he's essentially a high school senior because he, is, he, yeah. he left high school a year early. It's an insane story, isn't it? Plays it's, for it's, maybe it's, one of the top five most storied programs in college football. And ever. seems to seems to be, I mean, the most kind of head screwed on kind of kid that you've ever, you know, he was asked about taking over and he was like, to be honest, it's no different to every day. I come up with the same mentality and just, you know, trying to get better and prepare myself to, to, to win the opening game against UNLV. He's kind of 18 going on, you know, 38. He was, yeah, I was was listening, I was listening to the, uh, the ESPN college game day guys do a podcast and I was listening to that a couple of nights ago and essentially, one of those guys, I think it might have been Herb Street on the panel, had met him when he was 14 and said at that point he knew what he wanted his major to be in college, which college he wanted to go to yeah. and that he was going to leave the air early. So an incredible, bright and talented kid. It's an incredible raft of young, and we'll talk about another one in a second, but incredible raft of young quarterbacks when you take Justin Fields at, um, at Georgia who will you know, will keep pushing Jake from. You've got JT Daniels. We've talked about Trevor Lawrence, Tonga Vailoa, all these kids kind of coming through. There's a, there's a real wealth of uh, a phenomenal-looking you know, pro quarterback talent that's coming through the system, isn't there? Yeah, I don't think there's... I think we're seeing that now starting to drip feed into the NFL as well. Mm. I mean, I, I look at the, the kind of future landscape of quarterbacking in the NFL and I don't think it's ever been more exciting. No. And I think that's because essentially the coaching's improving so heavily at the high school level and we're kind of seeing that filter into every level of football now. It's it's It couldn't be a more exciting time for, for fans of offensive football. You're 0 for 1 on quizzes at the moment, so I'm going to give you another one. He was uh, Daniels was Gatorade National Player of the Year last year at Made to Die High School in, in California. 4,123 yards passing. I want his touchdown total 
and his interception total? I'm going to in, guess. In, across his career there in the three seasons. Oh, across it in three seasons. Um, so 10 games, three games. I'm going to go for 105 to 20. Sorry, this is a mistake. From last season, I apologise. Oh, this okay. is his numbers for last season. 4,123 yards passing. How many touchdowns? How many picks? I'm going to go for... How many yards did you say? 4,123. Ooh, I'm going to go for 48 and Ooh. 8. You're close. You're four away on both, actually. 52 and 4. Oh, that's <laughs> even better, though, isn't it? Four away, but I've underestimated them on both counts. That's not a bad effort. I'll give you, I'll give you half a point for that. That's um, fair. No, no worries. Shea Patterson obviously starting in Michigan. We'll talk about that in a sec. Kyler Murray talk, uh, starting at Oklahoma, as we knew. The situation in Nebraska, very interesting. Adrian Martinez is going to be the first true freshman starting quarterback in history. Scott Frost obviously performed at quarterback at a you know incredibly high level at Nebraska, comes back as the kind of the fabled son taking over as head coach. He beat out Tristan Gebbia, the, the highly rated redshirt freshman. Gebbia's now transferred this week to Oregon State, leaving Martinez as essentially the, the only kind of Really, the only quarterback they have on the roster. But, I mean, this is a kid, again, a fascinating kind of college hybrid, could have pro talent. He, he does look a very, very interesting character and a very interesting player and looks like, you know, I think he's probably going to have some bumps in the road this year, but next year will explode nationally, I think, as a sophomore. I mean, I don't know who should be more excited about this. The, the Nebraska fans who... Let's be honest, have endured a, 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 a really bad period for another illustrious program. Or, or the kid, because the kid gets, I mean, maybe the best offensive coach in college mm. football. I mean, Scott, what Scott Frost's done over his career uh, is incredible now. I mean, the UCF thing last year gets a lot of headlines, and, and certainly certainly it should. But, I mean, throughout his career as a, as a play caller at Oregon, and he's... He's from that Chip Kelly school, but this guy is an incredible offensive coach, and it's so nice, to, I think, to look at this true freshman kid, Scott Frost's first year in Nebraska. It feels like the starting and the building from the from the bottom up together, and I think that's a great situation for for Nebraska fans to be in. In what I think is the toughest conference in college football. He was an original commit to Tennessee and then flipped because of yeah. Scott Frost coming to to Nebraska. Like you say, they've kind of worked through this past few months together. The benefit of going through spring ball together and the workouts and working with his teammates. Very competitive kid. I think he's about six foot three, one ninety five, two hundred pounds. He's a he's a um, California kid, four star prospect. Um, he is a very very interesting player moving forwards for 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 a team that it doesn't feel right that Nebraska's not in the. You know, I grew up in that era of Nebraska being you know that powerhouse that was always in the top five and it was Nebraska and Notre Dame and Michigan and uh, and those kind of things. It's um. It, it, it's it's it'll be good to have them back and Frost. It seems like the guy that's going to get them back on the um get them back on the straight and narrow, as it were, in terms of competing again for national championships. Yeah, I mean, I know me and you chatted last year about writing about Nebraska in the magazine, didn't we? And the idea was that is a sleeping giant for if they can ever get the right guy in to coach. And I mean, you mentioned about the the fact that the kid flipped from Tennessee to Nebraska as well. How how must volunteer fans feel? Because there's no doubt that Scott Frost would have been high on their coaching list if they could have got him in I mean you essentially could have had that exact situation now in Tennessee but Nebraska are the lucky team who have it and certainly have the potential now to to be I think that if if we were to pick out one team who essentially did nothing last year to watch in two years I think Nebraska would be top of both of our lists 100% you're listening to the ESPN player gridiron college football show I'm Simon Clancy along with Matthew Sherry don't forget you can watch a myriad of games this season on the ESPN player. Give you a, a, a tonight UCF UConn you can watch Northwestern Purdue and uh, Jimbo Fisher's first game for Texas A and M against Northwestern State. We will talk about other games that you can see over the weekend. But Wisconsin, you can catch Army and Duke, and then a, just a raft of a raft of games over the weekend. Ohio State, South Carolina, Texas Tech, Ole Miss, which which should be a, a really interesting game. You'll be able to see Kelly Bryant at Clemson against Furman, Georgia Tech, Boston College, and then, you know, some of the big dogs then, Georgia, Auburn, Washington. You know, these are the, the, the games that will really help define this season. It's going to be a it's going to be a great season. Now let's actually look ahead, talk about these games, and we'll start with a game that 20 years ago could have been the national championship game and it starts with a sort of a, a quarterback decision as we've just been talking about Brandon Wimbush will start for, for Notre Dame against Michigan started 11 games last season held off Ian Book uh, in, a, in a tight competition and, and Brian Kelly named uh, Wimbush the starter 
What do you think about this game? Who do you think will uh, win out? I know you're a you're a Michigan man, so I I, I think I expect to, to to know what you're going to say. But it should be a it should be a fascinating game between these two teams because a lot of pressure now on Jim Harbaugh into his fourth year. Really struggled against top twenty five teams. This is going to be a um this is going to be I don't want to say statement game in the first you know first weekend of the season, but number twelve Notre Dame against number fourteen Michigan. Harbaugh's really got to get this one over the line, hasn't he? Yeah, it's a referendum on his tenure today, I think, this game. Um, I think he's been slightly unfairly spoken about in the media the, the last few months. I mean, I look at the, the absolute of his tenure. In year one, he inherited a mess. Some talent, but a real mess. And I think outperformed expectations. In year two, they were a pretty bad spot against Ohio State from winning in Columbus and also... That would essentially have secured them a place in, in the college football playoff as well. And then last year was a big disappointment, but it was a big disappointment only because of how well they started the season. I mean, they had a great win against Florida and everybody thought a team who'd lost, I think, 17 starters was going to be a little bit better than expected, but they didn't have anybody at quarterback. I mean, they had the, one of the worst passing efficiency in, of all teams in college football last year. So this year, they return essentially the same defence as last year, which was loaded. They have the answer at quarterback. And I mean, Jim Harbaugh seems excited about Shea Patterson as well. I read a guy who, who knows Harbaugh well saying he hasn't seen him like this since he was coaching Andrew Luck at Stanford. So he clearly believes in the kid. And all of those factors coming together, I mean, this is a huge game because for all, I think Harbaugh's been a little unfairly treated. And for all, I think a lot of those big games have come down to some fairly unfortunate bounces. I mean, people forget that the drop punt against Michigan State. There's been some mitigating circumstances that Jim Harbaugh isn't to blame for in these big games. But essentially, you need to start winning these games. And I do think Michigan are a much better team than Notre Dame. I think the rankings are, are, are wrong on this. I think that I think that Michigan are a top 7-8 team. I think Notre Dame will fall somewhere around late teens, 20s by the time the season's said and done. Notre Dame lost two of the best offensive linemen in college football to the NFL draft. That's going to be tough to replace against a, a D-line as stacked as Michigan. So I think Michigan will win, and I think it's it's a tough place to go. I mean, South Bend is not an easy team for any place, easy place for any team to go, but I think Michigan will get the job done. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I'm so invested in Michigan this year and I've kind of followed the spring and the off-season and maybe I'm just convincing myself that they're better than they are. But I I don't know. I just just think this is a game that they'll win. I wonder whether Harbaugh's at a crossroads, you know, here and that he's, you know, because he's developed good players and we know that, you know, and you look at this team this year, you know, you look at the guys like Devin Bush and Tyree Cannell and Ben Bredesen and Karan Higdon and and the receivers that, you know, and Rashawn Gary and, you know, there's a lot of talent there. What he hasn't done is develop a quarterback. Now he's got the kid in from Ole Miss, Shea Patterson, um, but it kind of feels like he's at that point where if it doesn't succeed with Patterson, does it succeed at all? Does he have to move on? Has he tied himself to the Patterson wagon so much? You know, and look, Patterson's an incredibly exciting quarterback and, you know, reading the local Michigan papers and, you know, and listening to to, to the radios and stuff, you know, players talking about, you know, throwing out words like swagger and exciting and versatile and dynamic and big arm and, you know... Uh, Kinnell, uh, Tyree Kinnell said last week, apparently, that this, you know, this is the, in all the time I've been at Michigan, he's been the hardest quarterback I've had to play against practice-wise because he does everything. The play is never over. We guard receivers for much longer than we're supposed to because he's making plays in the backfield. He can throw on the run. He's smart. He's smart with the football. I would want, I, I would argue that he's smart. He hasn't always been smart with the football, you know, when he was at Old Miss. But I do think it's a really good team. And I think if Patterson can get going, I think Michigan could... I mean, it's such a difficult, such a difficult road to the national championship yeah. when you've got all those teams, in, you know. But I think I think they'll overcome Notre Dame. I do, and I think if they don't, and this is the key for me, I think if they don't, I, I think Harbaugh finds himself in quite a difficult spot because I do think that he's at, you know, because they haven't, you know, they haven't won big games. They yeah, haven't. exactly. I mean, I can I can point out all the examples where they were unfortunate and they should have won, but eventually. Nobody cares about that after after two weeks of the game ending. You need to win the games. I mean, that's it's one way or another. We can look at any game of football and say, well, if this happened and this happened, it would have been different. If it isn't different, the result is all that matters. I agree. I mean, this is the kind of game that in any other season would be house money for Michigan because mm. 
you could lose it and you've still got the full Big Ten slate ahead of you so it doesn't really change your ability to get to the National Championship game but I think that I think Harbour almost needs to prove to the locker room as much as anything and the fan base I was going to say does he need to prove to the fan base and and almost is it too difficult having been there as a player to then come back and try and replicate you know and we've talked about Scott Frost being the saviour so it's difficult for it's kind of hypocritical for us to say oh Frost's in a great situation in Nebraska you know giving what Scott Frost did at, at Nebraska is it the same you know can we say the same about Jim Harbour but flip it and say well actually the Michigan you know the Michigan helmet is, is too big for him kind of thing. It's a difficult... Yeah, maybe. I, I wonder with a guy that intense, whether he wanted so badly, and you can see that, you can really see that, whether that takes a little bit away from him as a as a, as a coach. I mean, this, this is a guy who essentially has had unparalleled continuous success to start his coaching career before last season. I mean, because I would say that the Michigan first couple of years had been very successful as well. So... It's the first time he's ever had to really answer the questions, and it's going to be fascinating to see see how he comes out of that. And I and I think this game's huge for that because I think if they win this game, that the narrative changes completely. One other thing about Shea Patterson before we move on that I found quite interesting is that he's going to wear number two this season, which is obviously a retired number. It was worn by was worn by Charles Woodson, who won the 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 national who won the Heisman wearing number two, and essentially that number was kind of put out of commission. He uh, Patterson got his number. Uh, Woodson's number phoned him up asked him whether or not it was okay to wear the number apparently Woodson said it's not okay you can't wear it and Patterson was like oh okay sorry Mr Woodson and was about to put the phone down and Woodson said no it's a joke I'm joking of course you can wear it <laughs> but, if, but if you're going to wear it you've got to know what you're wearing it for you've got to be a leader you've got to show the guys how hard you work and you've got to wear it with pride and it, does that not pile more pressure now onto a team that's already worried about do they have the right coach do they have the right quarterback? They are in a what looks like a perfect moment that could easily become a perfect storm. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, it does. And it's one of those scenarios where it's just on a knife edge. If it goes one way, it's atrocious, it's terrible, the pressure gets insane. But if it goes the other way, it's the opposite. It's a relief, it's a weight off the shoulders. So that's why I think this game's so fascinating. I think the game that we'll almost certainly talk about next is the biggest game of the week nationally, but I think, as in right now, but I think this game might have the bigger impact on the on the playoffs by the end of the season. I just want to sneak in one game before we get to, to that game, which is LSU-Miami, which yeah. again, two you know major college football powerhouses who've faded a little bit um, over the past you know few seasons. Miami favoured in this game um, by three and a half points. Uh, the eighth in the AP rankings, LSU 25th. Um, LSU have got a lot of players, though. They're loaded with, you know, always recruit well. Ed Orgeron is a, a phenomenal recruiter, one of the best in the country. Um, and they're loaded with four- and five-star prospects, especially in that defensive front seven. They get players back on the back end as well. We've talked a lot about Greedy Williams. You know, Mark Richter's got to be worried about this LSU team, hasn't he? Because, you know, you look at Williams, you look at middle linebacker Devin White. Now, if if we're putting a head to the draft, putting our NFL draft heads on, these are two guys, Greedy Williams and, and Devin White, who will be first round or top 40 picks uh, next season. Um, and that matchup, Greedy Williams against Armand Richards, is going to be one of the one of the matchups of the season, really, isn't it? It's going to be a um, it's going to be a terrific battle between those two. But you know, you've got Malik Razier at quarterback for Miami. It's going to be a um, it's going to be a very interesting game between these two. Yeah, and I mean, Miami are just an interesting team to me because I, I, I've said in the in previous episodes, I do think that they were a team who just essentially caught lightning in a bottle last year and I'm not sure they'll replicate what they did. But it would be a great statement for them to go out and beat LSU in week one. I think LSU are a little bit overranked. I think they're only ranked because they're called LSU because I don't think you could watch last season and and think that they're a top 25 team. However, they do. The intriguing part for LSU is Joe Burrow, quarterback for me. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who I think he only got in the building two two months ago. He transferred from Ohio State, where essentially his only flaw was not beating out Dwayne Haskins, who we all think could be one of the next superstars of college football, a quarterback. So this kid is a former five star recruit as as well. I think he was between these and Cincinnati, bizarrely, but was, yeah. I think he might have roots in Cincinnati. So that was the reason why. Or Maybe the coach was was a guy he knew, but but it, it's going to be interesting to see because I, I think that that's the make or break thing for LSU's season. I think if if he turns out to be good, then LSU are probably a, 
a top 25 team who, who frankly could could really upset the apple cart in the SEC by getting maybe a big win against one of the teams contesting it. But that's where I'm going to be watching. I think that Grady Williams matchup you mentioned is is great from a, an NFL perspective. But from the perspective of the season, I think they need Joe Burrow to start well and they need to get a win against it. And Miami team who are clearly ranked way ahead of them at the moment. But I actually think this is a pretty even matchup. Yeah. I'm not sure that... I think Miami's over... I think both teams are overranked based on what okay. we know. But I think there's... Huge talent in both teams, so it could be an interesting matchup. One interesting name to watch is Christian Fulton, a cornerback who's been suspended for two years, essentially for for tampering with a drug test. And uh, he he was reinstated not long ago by the NCAA. Um, Rumoured that he'll start, never miss classes. He's a great kid, apparently, never miss weightlifting. And and LSU are very, you know, there's the very famous, uh, they, they put up the note when NFL teams come around about players that skip weight, sessions you know these are guys that we cannot trust because they do not come to weight class this is a kid that has done everything that he's been asked of even during the suspension you know a lot of kids would have packed it in he was engaged he you know and the team has essentially fought for him he was the number one recruit in their 2016 recruiting class um he's a phenomenal talent and an nfl talent really um so he's he's certainly a name to watch but you you mentioned it it's the big game it's the game on espn player this weekend and you are listening to the espn player gridiron college football show Auburn against Washington, number nine against number six. So much intrigue. Jake Browning, the most accurate quarterback in returning quarterback in the nation, against Jarrett Stidham, the Auburn quarterback who who took them so close to a national championship last year. Chris Peterson's Washington. Can they win the big one? A bit like Michigan. Can they get over the line? Away? Who would win between Washington and Michigan? By the way, they're, they're, they're <laughs> probably, both a, probably be a tie, wouldn't they it? Twenty overtimes. This is going to be, you know, this is Washington coming, you know, from the Pacific Coast all the way into the heart of SEC territory into Atlanta. To that phenomenal stadium in Mercedes-Benz. How do you see this one going? How do you see this one playing out? I've kind of conflicted on this. Um, I think Washington are going to win, largely because Chris Peterson's got an unbelievable record in, in first games of the season. So it feels like he's the kind of coach where if you give him a couple of months, then the opponent's in big trouble. But, I mean, it's such a... I mean, talk about a team who enter the opening week game with, with essentially everything on the line. I don't think I've ever seen a team in week one have a game that is as important as this one is for Washington because they have to win. I mean, I don't see any route to the college football playoff if, if Washington don't win this game. But it kind of feels like the stars are aligned and they had a lot of injuries last season. So people might look at Washington and see that last season was a was a regression from the year before when they were in the playoff. But they had loads of key injuries. They lost a lot of good players to the NFL draft. Buddha Baker, the the kid who went to Philadelphia, who got injured just before yeah. the draft, whose names escaped me. So they lost lost a lot of talent, but they've got a lot of experience this year. They've got a lot of players back, and they've got a head coach who ultimately thrives in these situations. Sydney Jones. Certainly the first game of the season. Yeah, Sydney yeah. Jones, yeah. I mean, I th- to me, it's to me, it's a fascinating fascinating game and I actually think Auburn will win um, but I think if Auburn lose I think they do have a way you know early season losses you can just about it's house money for Auburn this yeah absolutely but I think what's interesting with them and it's obviously a difficult thing for them because if they lose it makes it more difficult but win or lose they've still got to go on the road in two of the last three games at Georgia at Alabama now if they're 0-1 but they win the rest of their games and then they go to Georgia and Alabama and win both of those games they're going to the college playoff. Yeah. I mean, if, they're unbeaten, if they lose to Washington and are unbeaten the rest of the way, which will include wins over Georgia and Alabama, they're in the college football playoff. I mean, they would need to help. win the SEC Championship yes, of course, game as well. But. Of course. But, you know, I, I think that that is a route for them, even if they lose. I think you're right. The, the route for Washington just becomes almost impossible. If they... Do you not think the dream scenario, and we're looking way ahead of you for, for Auburn, is to win this game beat Georgia on the road and then lose to Alabama on the road because then Alabama would essentially have to play Georgia in the SEC championship game and that would become a a kind of essentially a playoff Playoff, game but 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 Auburn would get in they would definitely get in without having to play the SEC championship game similar to the way Alabama did this year Auburn's front seven especially that defensive line might just control that Washington offensive line they're going to have to get the run game going aren't they and and Jarrett Stidham's got a lot of targets you know this is a 66% accuracy passer from last season experienced weapons out wide a bit green in the backfield I suppose but you know it's a 
it's just I just think that I just think this game could be won by Auburn's defensive line because they are they are dominant. How do you think the running game looks? I mean, it's obviously I mean the running game is essentially what Gus Malzahn has built his reputation on, and and I, it's a very creative run game, but. They've lost Kerryon Johnson, yeah. who was one of the stars of last season. Do you think that they've got the guys to step up and replace him? I mean, there's, I mean, who you're looking at? You're looking at what Devon Barrett and, and Jatavius Whitlow. You know, they're high on Whitlow. Um, I mean, I think the offensive line is a bit green as well. You lose Braden Smith to the draft. Yeah. Um, I, I am not sure how it's going to play out. I mean, what what I would be most concerned about actually is who is their best running back in pass protection. You know, I think that's I think that's Whitlow. I mean, you know, Cam Martin will probably start the game. I think, but I wonder whether or not you know Malzahn will trust that Whitlow can protect Stidham more, especially if the game gets tied. Do you know what I mean? I mean, and, and I guess this is the year where Stidham has to just step up and be the guy. Yeah, um, he was good last year, but I don't think he was amazing. I think there's I think there's another step for him to take, and he's a kid who. We've seen put up some great numbers at Baylor previously, obviously transfer, transferred to Auburn. But I think this is the year he's a senior now. It's kind of all eyes on him, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, I think that even if Martin starts the game, I think that Whitlow is a 6 what was he, 6'1", 260, 220-pound, who can really, really, he understands leverage, he understands pass protection, he understands blitzes. He's the sort of guy that I think Gus Malzahn is going to want to have on the field to be able to protect Stidham, especially in those critical moments. And he's done that all through the spring, all through the summer. Um, I, I just think he could be the guy. And if they can get him going, if they can get the run game going, that's just going to open things out for Stidham to, to hit some of those, you know, that more those more experienced guys out wide. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Oh, it's I, be I, could, I could see it either way. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a very much a pick-em game. Uh, it's game of the way. I'm going Auburn. You're going Washington, did you say? Just, yeah. Okay. Very briefly then, UCF UConn tonight should be an easy win for, for UCF. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I mean, I, I think the intriguing part to me with UCF is just watching how it looks without Scott Frost yeah. and just seeing if there's any obvious hangover because I, mean, I think Mackenzie Milton is is awesome. Yeah, so I, I mean, I. he might be my favourite quarterback in college football. There's a rogue Heisman Trophy, uh, you know, outsider. Especially if he does it without Frost there, because I think that plays into his favour. So, yeah, I mean, this is a kid who essentially, by all advanced metrics, leads all college quarterbacks in accuracy yeah. and everything else. The problem is he's like five foot nine, yeah, exactly. five foot ten, but he's he's great to watch back there. So, yeah, that, that'll be the, the question for me, is how does it look without Frost? Jimbo Fisher kicks off against Northwestern State. I mean, that's a that's a gimme game, isn't it? It's a, an absolute gimme game in your, in, your, in your opener. How do you think the Jimbo Fisher tenure will play out? I think well, I'm not. I'm not convinced how well it will play out this season. I mean, I think they'll improve. It's going to take time. You, isn't it? you get that job with a new coach, but yeah, I don't think. That, I mean, it's essentially wrap your players in cotton wool in week one and, and try and keep them healthy for Clemson, and then next week we get an immediate kind of early referendum. Second time I've used that word in the podcast um, <laughs> on on how it looks so far. Essentially, so yeah, this is a. This is a keep everybody healthy and look good game. Uh, he's named Keller Mond as his, as his starting quarterback. Is that a surprise? Do you think? I mean, there was there was some talk through through the spring and the summer that Nick Starkle was the favourite for the job. He started the final six games of uh, of twenty seventeen, but he's gone with he's gone with Mond. Is that a surprise for you? I'm, I mean, it isn't a surprise, but by the same account, I don't necessarily think he's going to be long term. He's a fifty percent, fifty one percent passer. I mean, that that's not going to get you very. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think that's why this becomes an early look at, at how it's going so far because Fisher's made his reputation as kind of a quarterback whisperer. So how he's clearly seen some talent in in the kid. So can he immediately turn those numbers around? And I think that's going to be fascinating to watch even in week one. And then Tuesday morning on ESPN Player, one o'clock UK time, it's Virginia Tech against Florida State, which is number nineteen against number twenty. A, a, a huge game for 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 both teams, really. Um, how do you think that one? How do you think that one will play out? Because for Florida State, obviously, you know that will give both Willie Taggart and DeAndre Francois that confidence heading into that that big Clemson game. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want to lose the opener and then head into Clemson and you know already be down on your luck, especially in the in a competitive ACC with Miami, with Florida, with um, Clemson, etc. It's easy to forget that Florida State ended last season ranked, I think, number three in the country. Mm. They had DeAndre Francois, a quarterback. And frankly, they were very good in the first half of that game against Alabama to start mm. last season. They looked like they were going to potentially upset them and then Francois got injured. 
that game unravelled and then the whole season unravelled. Still a lot of talent. There always is on Florida State. I like Willie Taggart. I think Florida State are a, are a little bit of a, a sleeper team this year who people are just slightly forgetting about. So I think they'll win that game and that will be the the beginning of a, of a much better season than maybe some anticipate for, for Willie Taggart in year one. Hokies are a decent side though as well, aren't they? I mean, they, they started 7-1 no. and last year then lost three of the... F- through the final five, including the bowl game to Oklahoma State, returned 12 starters um, from a team that finished 9-4 and four last year, 7 on offense. Um, Josh Jackson, a quarterback, a good sort of, I think he had 20, 21 touchdowns last season, 28 or 9 picks, um, 3 starters on the offensive line, and they pitched 3 shutouts last year, so this is no uh, this is no mug for, for Willie Beeman and Florida State to take on. No, and I mean, they've obviously got a kind of illustrious defense there that has a great reputation, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, Bud Foster's defense is always good. I think they've got a little bit less talent. I mean, they, they lost the kid um, to the draft, the linebacker, who, another player whose name's escaped me. Yeah, I can't remember either. First round linebacker, we definitely know who he is. Yes. But um, yeah, so they lost, they lost him. They've lost some talent on the defense, but I think everybody just assumes it's going to be a really good defense. And they never, nobody wants to play Virginia Tech in week one. No. Do they? It's that kind of horrific matchup. Like, like I said earlier on, you'd almost rather play a true blue blood like Clemson because at least you can explain away that defeat. Whereas this is a this is a nasty week one game. But I, I do think Florida State will win, but I don't think this will be a blowout. It'll be a close game. Very exciting. Lots of great games to come at the weekend. And don't forget, you can sign up for a monthly or annual pass to get ESPN players' extensive coverage of college football, which includes more than 700 games. That's 700 games this season, live and on demand, plus three channels simulcast direct from the the US, ESPNU, the SEC Network, and the Longhorn Network. You get also access to a range of great documentaries from ESPN Films, including the critically acclaimed 30 for 30s, Roll Tide, War Eagle, Elway to Marino, Run Ricky Run, Catholics v Convicts, those sorts of things. And if that wasn't enough, when you sign up, you get a seven-day free trial. Matt, it's going to be a great opening weekend. I'm very much looking forward to it. We shall be back next week to kind of review the games, look ahead, talk about the drama, the the touchdowns, who played well, who didn't, who's quarterback where, who's in the hot seat for the Heisman, which coaches on the hot seat. Should be a phenomenal weekend.